Welcome to today's episode, or this week's episode, this month's episode, the first episode of the year of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. And I am Corwin Heller. And uh, welcome to Happy New Year, folks. We're recording this on January 2nd. You'll be listening to it on the 3rd in all likelihood. Um, so happy 2022. May your year be full of lots of twos. Um, it's the only number that matters this year. All the twos. Go get some twos. Um, I have no comment on this whole. It's a bunch, just a bunch of twos. It's, it's, it's 1-2-22 today. A lot of twos. It's bust out the, the Derek Jeter figurines because it's all twos all the time. Uh, anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, Happy New Year. Hope you've been watching a lot of movies instead of engaging with your family. It's more worth your time to do that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, really was. Uh, <laughs> That's my uh, Christmas tradition of on Christmas, Jesus Christ, we're off to a good start of yeah. just like, hey, uh, we open presents. Uh, you know, I just watch a bunch of movies until we eat dinner and then go back to watching movies and just avoid small talk. That sounds good. No conversation we could possibly have could in any way be fruitful for me. So let's just not. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, let's get into what we got going for today, which is we have the 2007 film Charlie Wilson's War and the uh, 2021 Golden Globe nominee uh, being the Ricardos. Corwin, where do you want to start? Uh, Aaron Sorkin or Aaron Sorkin? For sure. All right. Uh, let's go chronologically then, because I don't really give a shit either. <laughs> so Charlie Wilson's War came out in 2007. It was directed by Mike Nichols. It was, The screenplay was written by Aaron Sorkin uh, with the book by George Krill. It stars Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts and Philip Seymour Hoffman. This film had an estimated budget of $75 million, like all of which has to be um, actors' budgets and location. Um, Because I'd assume that for several of these Middle Eastern scenes, they probably actually filmed in the Middle East. I imagine it'd be easier than trying to stage California like that. Um, The film grossed worldwide $120 million, which... You know, makes that a success. It's not uh, the biggest. I feel like we talked about this before where it's like in the early 2000s, this was all anyone was asking for. You know what I mean? Making your money back plus like 50 percent was all anyone was asking for. And now it's like, you know, because of the success of gigantic franchises, you'll see a hundred million movie. $100 $100 million movie make two like a, a literal billion dollars. And it feels like that's almost more of that ratio just never really existed outside of the indie film market when indie films would blow up. And now it's, I don't want to say commonplace, but it's, a, it's considered a lot. It's a lot more in the fold than, than it was at, at this point in time. Anyway, the tagline of this film is a stiff drink, a little mascara, a lot of nerve, who said they couldn't bring down the Soviet empire? Oof. <laughs> Oof, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a nothing statement. I don't care for it. I, I, I think that's one of the worst ones we've read. <laughs> um, this one was nominated for one Oscar. It was nominated for best performance by an actor in a supporting role for Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, he did not win that year. Let's see who uh, who won that award. 
Hold on. Supporting actor. That went to Javier Bardem that year for No Country for Old Men. Javier Bardem, whom we will be speaking of in a little while. It's a layup of an award for that year. So I'm this was upset. this was a tough fucking year, man. So Javi Javi Bardem for No Country for Old Men, Philip Seymour Hoffs for Charlie Wilson's War, uh, Hal Holbrook for Into the Wild, Tom Wilkinson for Michael Clayton, and Casey Affleck for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That's that's a big year. This category is always stacked. But I feel like even though there are a lot of good choices there, real choice that I would ever. Yeah, Javier Bardem is obviously the walk-away candidate with this, like, even irrespective of the fact that we know he won. But, yeah, it's still always a good category um, because there's a lot more male parts. But, anyway, different conversation. This film is about a drama based on a Texas congressman, Charlie Wilson, and his covert dealings in Afghanistan, where his efforts to assist rebels in their war with the Soviets have some unforeseen and long-reaching effects. Uh, Corwin, this was your pick. So why don't you get us started? Uh, I really wasn't expecting it to be this kind of comedy. I, I wasn't expect. I was expecting it to have like oh some comedic relief and some small jokes thrown in there to like all right we're talking about you know supplying the mujahideen with armament to go and basically have their own little Vietnam. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to be a comedy taking place around these events. Um, but I don't know. I, it, it wasn't a groundbreaking movie for me. I think, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and does a lot to kind of carry the scenes he's in. And um, otherwise, I mean, the writing was okay. I, I think the film itself was okay. It didn't blow me away, but by no means was it not an enjoyable movie to just kind of sit down and watch. It was fine. Uh, so I, I have not seen this movie since I was like a kid and it's kind of wild to watch this movie today. Like, because I, I remember this movie and like you root for the government. You're, you're, you're rooting for America doing the, the do, do what they do. And man, is it fucked up? Oh my God, is it fucked up? And they never get into any of the actual politics of what's happening in the region outside of uh, give them guns. That'll that'll solve their fucking problems. Let's let's just throw money and weapons and armaments at them and create a hellscape in the Middle East full of massive quantities of assault weapons and and military grade weaponry. And we'll call that uh, problem solved and fuck off. And this is essentially what started America's current conflict in the Middle East, this exact scenario right here is what led to 9-11 and the eventual war with Iraq. And they play it off like, we're the fucking best. And they did it in 2007. Yeah. It was originally, the original ending for this film was a scene where it like was showing how this led to 9-11. And Tom Hanks was like, that's... I'm not really comfortable with that, guys. I don't think we should have that be the ending. So they changed it to him getting that award and having it be like, oh, we lived all happily ever after. And I think it would have been a much better movie if they were like, this was a crazy experience for everyone watching. We are well aware of how this looks. And our intention was for it to be satire against 
these people, not like, Haha, look at how great our congressmen in the state of Texas are. <laughs> right, right. If they played off at the end, like you enjoyed the ride because the movie tells you to enjoy the ride. But while you were enjoying the ride, sharp twists. This is how yeah. people perceive themselves. And this is what actually happens, which is mm-hmm. literal, actual 9-11. Like, it's wild. And in that regards, the way the movie actually ends, which we're skipping around a bit, but who gives a fuck, is also wild. Because there's like a throwaway scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, uh, we, he tells that story about the uh, the wise man and the whoever. And it's like, ah, oh, my kid got his leg broke by the horse that sucks it's like we'll see all that shit and the point being like we think we're doing great uh but we'll see it might end up being uh horrible which it obviously is we just pulled out of afghanistan like a few months ago And, and then after that scene you'd expect more movie and no it just hard cuts to Tom Hanks on stage about to receive the friends of valor friends of friends of the uh, uh, associate some weird metal thing that uh, they didn't do a great job of really explaining um, nor did it look very impressive considering the fact it was in a hangar with like 30 people in attendance and then the movie just fucking it has the Aaron Sorkin everybody claps it cannot be an Aaron Sorkin movie without everybody claps pick a pick an Aaron Sorkin movie there is an ending scene where everybody claps. Every Aaron Sorkin movie we've ever talked about. And every well, I love the Chicago movie. 7 is the just the worst. Being the Ricardos has an everybody clap scene at the end. Everybody can't keep fucking clapping, goddammit. Like, I know it's a meme, and then everybody claps. But goddamn, Aaron, like, figure it out. It's embarrassing. I'm trying, it's I need to. I need to. I need to pull up the list of the movies he's directed, just so I could. I could go through like, and see. Few good men. Everybody claps at the end of that. That's an Aaron Sorkin movie. I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, there's got. I'm sure there's an everybody claps scene somewhere in Social Network. Like I'm sure, but but anyway, we'll, we'll show <sighs> Molly's Game, movie. the mm. news or the Social Network, Moneyball. Moneyball. I'm sure has one. He wrote Moneyball. Yeah. Oh. We talked about it when we did Moneyball. I'm sure we, How we were like, what? Them. Aaron Sorkin directed this? Hmm. Go figure. Whatever. Yeah. Um, None will ever be as bad as Trial of the Chicago 7. That was just ungodly awful. I mean, I will get to it in a second, but I, I think I liked being the Ricardos significantly less than I liked being the Trial of the Chicago 7, but we, we really? will get there. We'll get there. Um. In regards to this one, it's it's just it makes it so difficult because all of what's happening is so surface level and it does the very Aaron Sorkin thing, which is here's a lot of dialogue and everyone's witty and everyone's a little angry and everything's a little tense. And that's all well and good. But the plot of this movie is just let's get more money for guns. And that's all the movie ever really is outside of a few spare scenes where one of the characters usually accompanied by Tom Hanks or just Tom Hanks goes to visit Afghanistan or, or, or Pakistan and, and sees how horrible it is. Every other scene is just uh, uh, here's a subcommittee meeting where I'm going to try to get him more money. Or here's me, here's me talking to the head of the subcommittee about getting more money. Or here's me talking with um, uh, what's her fucking face uh, where she wants me to go get 
more money. Um, oh, look, I got more money. Don't you want to fuck me now? It's like, oh, my God. Like that. And then, you know, with the with the perspective of 15 years later, where we're watching this now, where everything they're doing is the wrong thing to do. It just add, adds on to this feeling of why the fuck is this a movie? Like, it's wild. Um, again, like if this had the tone and the direction of being look at how fucked up our government and our government, you know, politicians are. It's like, hey, this one congressman from a district in Texas, what was it, Texas 12, that nobody's ever heard of that gets elected because his constituents don't really give a shit about anything else. And he's a charismatic guy who just likes fucking women. And guess what? That's all you need to know about him. If he has the ability to create a half billion dollar conflict in the Middle East just by signing a piece of paper, or I guess just by making a few handshakes, essentially, uh, how the fuck is our country running? Well, also, the fact that they display, they portray Charlie Wilson as this womanizer, like drug user, um, and they portray those things as being good. Like, no one cares about it. Like, like the, mm-hmm. the, the, his receptionist has a line in there early in the movie where she was like, Charlie likes to say, uh, you can teach him how to type, but you can't teach him how to have tits or some shit like that. You and can, you can teach somebody to type. You can't, you can't teach them to have massive tits. Yeah. And they play that <laughs> off. Like it's a, like it's a laugh and everyone's just cool with it. And it's wild. And just because and it's, it's the time. Just because you want to say, which, I, by the way, the late 80s, and early 90s, not necessarily the time for this. Um, this would be like the 50s. Uh, but even if that's the case, you still made this movie in 2007. You can portray those things as horrible qualities for any living human being. And going back to that comment in that scene, it was like to the daughter of another political headpiece that he was meeting with. Yeah. Portraying it as like a wow, like I can't believe how fucking disgusting this man is. Like I'm, you know, a well put together, self-respecting adult. And then the next scene is him or is her just like, damn Charlie, I want to suck your fucking cock. Let's go fuck. Let's do a bunch of drugs. Let's go. And it's just like, well, how the fuck did this what are you trying to say here? What is your message with this? And then it just more speaks to the point that you were making where they should have portrayed this as a, I can't believe our government runs this way because like Charlie Wilson would be like, oh my God, this, this conflict in, in, with the Mujahideen is wild. And then some big tated bimbo will walk out of nowhere who contributes nothing and just be like, Ooh, I'm so sorry, daddy. Like, and it's like, and they play it off. Like it's serious. And instead it should be like, look at how stupid and, and bullshit this whole organization is that we call the united states government and they treat it like ah yeah no he was having a rough day (laughs) that day it's so fucking dumb like it's it's filmed and shot and portrayed like some heavy satire but without the punchline ever coming right you're waiting for it yeah and it never shows up it's 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 like it's like gym class dodgeball you know what I mean? Like, look, no one, no one wants to be the guy that's taking it that seriously. No one mm-hmm. wants to. You're supposed to play every gym class game you play, you know, like kickball or whatever, with an air of, I know this is all bullshit. I have math after this, you know? Um, and so you play them for, for, you know, you play it well enough that you're, you're having fun, but you don't play it well enough that you're like trying to 
take home a fucking trophy in, at nine o'clock in the morning in second period. And this film just is the nope. We're going balls to the wall, baby. We're going all out on this motherfucker. And it's wild. It's it's weird, though, because I feel like we've watched these kind of films before where it's like the tone of this is just wrong. Like the way they're portraying, you know, the the narrative and the message in this film, like it just does it. It infuriates us. It gets us frustrated. And with this, it's like we all know what it's quote unquote trying to say or what like the message seems to be. And we're all just going to play along with it. Yes, the end of the film doesn't ever reach that point, and it's frustrating in that specific instance, but I feel like the rest of this film is just so easy to just, in your mind, be like, no, this is satire. Fuck this. I don't care if they're doing a terrible job portraying it. It is what it is. It's a joke in my and it mind because it, it's just so stupid. Right, and it makes it so much easier to digest where it's like, yeah, I don't care that it doesn't do that in the end because I can kind of make that change myself, and it just makes it a very easy surface level movie to watch and I guess pull some enjoyment out of speaking of the enjoyment did some. you, did it's, you not enjoy, a, it's not a lot but it's did you enjoy some. Tom Hanks's accent in this movie no no because it's really bad right like it's a really bad accent I love Tom Hanks he's one of my love favorite actors I don't like this portrayal like i just don't think he did a very great job it's just i don't want to say he phoned it in because it's not like he was just kind of there but it's just like this i don't like this role no I don't it, think it's a good it does it does speak to how well he can carry a movie on charisma alone because this is not a good movie it's got a pretty decent script because again very punchy aaron sorkin dialogue uh but tom hanks's accent is wild in it but because he's in every scene and he is a very compelling person. It works in terms of a like, like your mind will go. This is a good movie because look how good he is in it. Right. Like, like you were saying, if you just kind of turn Tom your Hanks brain off, does that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you just like turn your brain off and you're not thinking about it, like you will be duped <laughs> into thinking this movie has quality to it <laughs> because he has so much charisma. Oh, wait, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tom Hanks, and this is written by Aaron Sorkin. Okay, so this must be a, an Academy Award nominated film. Okay, I'm just going to go with this. And fine. not just not just written by Aaron Sorkin, also directed by Mike Nichols, <laughs> who is an Oscar winning director of, you know, like The Graduate, The Birdcage, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Like, he's a very famous director and very good at what he does. And Man, it's just a, a an amalgamation of failures. Is he? Oh, he died. Everyone. Yeah. Oops. Didn't realize he was married to Diane Sawyer of all people. Oh, real? I didn't know that either. Yeah. Well, was. Yeah. Oh well. Um. Yeah. This is. I mean, again, we like we always say with, with a lot of these types of movies, we can sit here and talk about the individual plans or, or you know movements in plot with with this. But it, it all ties back to um, Tom Hanks doesn't think the U.S. government is doing enough in this area and wants to increase their engagement for what seems like good and altruistic reasons, uh, but ultimately is the thing that leads to. Uh, I mean, several of the largest scale uh, 
governmental failures and civilian casualties throughout the world because of the involvement of both the U.S. and um, the Middle East in in modern day history. So it's it's like a colossal, colossal failure. Uh, But there's no point really getting into the individual stuff. It's, It's not worth the time. So I'm not really sure. Oh, actually, one other thing. Amy Adams in this movie. Why is Amy Adams in this movie? Like when you see her in the beginning, I think to myself like, oh, man, I totally forgot she's in this. Does she have a really big part? Is she doing a lot of Amy Adams shit? And then it's like, no, no, she's she basically could have blended in with all the other. And I want to keep saying bimbo is not derisively towards these women, but in terms of how this film chose to characterize a bunch of women as uh, meat puppets, um, she could have been one of the other bimbos. It seemed like so weird that they had Amy Adams in this movie. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, did she break out at this point? She she must have been a person. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, just looking through. I mean, catch me if she can. Catch me if you can. I feel like she had a decent role in that. Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. I didn't realize she was in that, and she just plays gorgeous women. So maybe she wasn't really a person at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, like, she played Katie in The Office the previous year and i know that was not a enchanted i feel like was her breakout role and that was the same year so yeah i would assume this is just hey this is a pretty big movie i'm going to take whatever role i can get uh that's fair yeah her biggest movies up to this point were catch me if you can in 02 uh and then i guess talladega nights in 06 tenacious d in 06 but those were both small parts yeah, and then I mean, after that, it there was doubt. Uh, Sunshine Julie Cleaning, and Julia, yeah. the fighter, the Muppets, the master. Like she had a bunch of big, big roles immediately after this. And then big budget stuff like Man of Steel. Yep, her American yeah. Hustle. Yeah, you're right. So th- this was really Arrival. this was really the yeah. tipping point for her. Yeah, hmm. I okay. like Amy Adams. I do too. It's why I was disappointed to see her in this and then disappointed to see her not really have much to do in this. Mm-hmm. Cause I also think she's partly yeah. there to give some Mandela seriousness effect. to the, to the women of this movie. I think she's there to be like the, she's good at her job and pretty, whereas the rest of them seem to just be kind of pretty. Um, but then she doesn't really do much. She has like one Aaron Sorkin moment where she gets to like point at a bunch of people and speak really fast. And mm-hmm. then uh, that's kind of it. Yeah. But whatever. It's an Aaron Sorkin moment. We're full of these this week. I uh, I didn't realize this was written. I was watching it and I was like, this feels like a movie Aaron Sorkin would have written. And then I looked it up while I was watching. I was like, ah, uh, he did. Yeah, he did. Um, also didn't realize he wrote and directed Being the Ricardos, but we'll get there in a minute. Uh, so do you have anything else on this one or should we move into Being the Ricardos? No, it was a very basic, simple, straightforward not deep movie. Give me some shallow. Stars. Shallow is the word. Uh, two and a half. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a full star lower than you. I'm gonna say a one and a half. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a movie you can enjoy turning your brain off. It's got some good perform. It's got a good performance by uh, Philip Schmore Hoffman, yeah. and that's. I feel like that's enough to watch a movie. I like I would watch a bad movie if Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. So I'll take it, you know. Sure. He is good in it to his credit. 
acting through a lot of makeup, but he's good in it. Uh, all right. So that will take us then into Being the Ricardos, which was uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> uh, came out oh, this wow. year, 2021, or last year, 2021. Man, this guy's getting a lot of work. I really hope he takes off one day. I, th- I think he does, too. Um, it stars Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, and J.K. Simmons, uh, as well as a shout-out to uh, Nina Ar- Arianda as Vivian Vance, just to round up the, uh, the OG cast of that show. Uh, this film had, do we have an estimated budget? I'm actually not sure we will. Yeah, because this is an Amazon production, both the budget and gross, I'm not seeing offhand. Like, uh, there's nothing on IMDb. The Wikipedia shows $450,000 for box office. This was in theaters in addition to streaming, but because it's a current movie, we're not going to really get a, a real number on it. So just leaving that on the wayside, I guess. Uh, the tagline for this. No, I don't, I don't see a tagline for this movie. So fucking never mind. Um, yeah, we're so we're, we're, we're talking about this film because it is nominated for a uh, Golden Globe, a couple, a few Golden Globes, actually, um, as we're awaiting the Oscar nominations to, to uh, you know, bring down our list a little bit. The Golden Globes that this film was nominated for is Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture Drama for Nicole Kidman. Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for uh, Javier Bardem. And Best Screenplay, fuck you, Motion Picture for Aaron Sorkin. Can't believe that. Um, this was my movie. I will get us started. I had no idea what to expect with this movie because uh, I as I say, like every other week on the show, I do not like to look up too much about the movies I'm about to watch. I would much rather have it hit me. But what I was expecting with this movie as it's entitled being the Ricardos, which is a little bit of like a combination of two things, since they are not the Ricardos, they are Desi Arnaz and uh, Lucille Ball. But you assume it's about their relationship outside of the show. And this film does spend the vast majority of this movie outside of the show. It, but it doesn't spend like there's not a lot of here's how Lucy and Desi's relationship works. It's very much so centered around a handful of conflicts. And what this film actually does is it combines several real life events and condenses it down into a single week of life for the cast and crew of uh, I Love Lucy and just kind of moves through all of the events. But it doesn't do it chronologically in a way that would be like, a, you know, black text Monday and then you see Monday scenes, which would have worked. Oh, my God, so much better. Um, and it doesn't do it, you know, like temp- temporally linearly. Like it bounces around between flashbacks and flash forwards and the flash forwards are ludicrous because it just, they cast old people to play old versions of the people in the movie, but those people are, are dead. So it's not like it's actually them being interviewed. Like it's people playing those people and Oh boy, they serve absolutely no fucking purpose. What's fucking ever. It really um, threw me off. Yeah. I had, and I, I had to question myself, like that can't be them, right? Like this movie, this show started in the 50s. Like they'd, they'd be in their hundreds. What really threw me off was because I watched it on Amazon, which is who Same. released it. It has, you know, when you um, 
kind of move your mouse, it has like this overlay, you know, where it has typically That's on like right. Netflix, it'll have yeah. like the pause and the the bar, the timeline of where you're in the movie. And it'll have, oh, here's all the actors in the scene and who they're playing. And it was like this person playing this person. It's like this. What do you mean? This is a it's showing what? Yeah, and then it also never differentiates really the flashbacks, but because right, like if we There's, flashback ten years ago from like if we're making a film in in the nineties and everything looks very nineties, and we flashback to the eighties, there's obvious pieces pieces of set dressing that we'll all understand to be eighties. The furniture will be different, the color scheme will be different, the hair will be different, the band posters on walls will be different. If you're flashing back from the fifties to the forties. I don't know that I'm going to get that based on set dressing. I don't know if I'm going to get that based on hairstyle. And they really don't do a good job of, unless they specifically say, which they do at a couple points, this is a flashback, essentially. I'm not going to know what's in the past and what's present. And that was also hard for me. Hold on. I, 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 don't, I don't hear you, buddy. That was the biggest thing for me because I thought it was just going to be a straightforward linear story with those you know interviews being the cut-ins but there really was no differentiation on oh this is a flashback this is present day this is the interview section there was nothing that ever indicated it other than some offhand comments in that conversation about like this stuff happening previously so for me, and I'll, 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 we'll get into the movie more, I promise. Um, but for me, one of the most confusing parts in terms of figuring out the timing of it, and I, I want to ask you, was there was a scene where Lucy is in her like laundry room and it's like super late at night and Desi walks in holding a kid. And part of the plot of this movie is that Lucy's pregnant and they're trying to figure out how to work that around the show. And I was like, okay, we're in a flash forward because she's, she's going to, she had the kid already. And this kid looks like he's like two. You know what I mean? Like, this is not a, a, an infant. This is or not a newborn. This is an infant. And then Lucy walks outside, gets in her car, drives to the set of I Love Lucy, and starts rehearsing a scene with everybody at two o'clock in the morning of an episode they're about, they were about to film in the present day run of the show. And I had no idea what was happening. Did you have any answers for that? <laughs> Please. Um, my only assumption at this point would be I, I knew they were only in like their second year of the show, second season of the show. Did she have kids before this? Was this like their second child? And so I, I resisted looking it up because I, I wanted to make the point of if she did have other kids, bring that the fuck up, please. Because when you're flashing forward and backward in time and you're not expecting me to know this entire woman's fucking life, no one should expect everyone to know the entire life story of Lucille Ball, especially because her, her kids aren't famous. You know, it's not like this is like Frank Zappa's kids or some shit where it's like they've all had careers. Um, you'd have to let me know in some way that there's another kid involved here. And they. Sure. Yeah. But anyway. So the, the, the confluence of events that are happening in this, in this movie, uh, Lucy finds out she's pregnant. There is a news story about Lucy being registered with the Communist Party. And part of the, the bookends of the week that is considered this hellish week uh, 
is that some itty bitty small paper picks that story up in the beginning of the week. And there's they're waiting to see if by the end of the week, bigger news agencies also pick up that story. Um, and that pissed me off. Spoiler alert, they do. Yeah, so that pissed me the fuck off because the whole movie, uh, everyone's like, no, 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 it's not going to be about the communist thing. Lucy explained that already. Uh, and we haven't heard any rumblings from anybody. It's going to be this pregnancy story, which is that Lucy's pregnant. And um, that's going to be the big scandal or whatever that gets printed. And the whole movie, anytime anybody brings up the communist thing, like characters will literally like shoo the idea away. Like, no, 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 it's nothing. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, they ran with the communist story. Oh my God. And it's like, look, that's not a twist or a shock. If you spent the whole movie bringing it up and telling us not to worry about it. That's horrible writing. That's just bad writing. If you can't build the suspense or 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 create the the tone that it's going to be one thing and not the other without having to literally say that, you did a horrible job. Pissed me off to no end while watching this movie. Also, like this is what like the 1940s, 1950s, 1950s, 1950s right? Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a big deal. You should be concerned about. The Red Scare is kind of a big part of history. Yo, oh my God. Also, the fact the fact that I think it's Desi Arnaz gets on the phone <laughs> with, with, with the head of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, and has him on speakerphone say, we are not investigating Lucille Ball, was the cringiest shit I've ever seen in a movie. I assume that was him just making that shit up and How? just had like some random person. I don't understand how Aaron Sorkin showed that to other people and they didn't go, dude, you have to shoot yourself in the face. This is so bad. That's so fucking bad. That was the worst thing I've ever. He got on the phone and J. Edgar Hoover is supposed to be the good guy in this scene. We're supposed to temporarily root for J. Edgar fucking Hoover. Like what yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, baby, big hero. Where the fuck are we? This is the man that killed Martin Luther King Jr. Where the fuck are we? What are we doing? It's ridiculous. Josh, it's 1952. They don't know who Martin Luther King is. And that's and that was their big everybody clap scene, too. That was their big like, oh, yeah, J. Edgar Hooves, baby. It was wild, wild to watch. I hope Aaron Sorkin ends up coming out and saying, like, yeah, guys. The last like five years, I've been doing some wild drugs that I've really needed to fund uh, to fund with some some movies because boy, <laughs> I'm just throwing shit out there hoping it sticks. <laughs> just need these paychecks, baby. What what is the difference between Aaron Sorkin and Adam Sandler at this point? <laughs> they are Adam the Sandler. Adam Sandler at least films movies in tropical locations so he could go on <laughs> vacation. That's true. That's very true. And he makes them with his friends so that they can yeah. be there. Like people talk shit about like new Adam Sandler movies, and I get it. Like they're not good movies, but I will never once hold that against Adam Sandler. I it's so just like, it. yeah, it's like you clearly know what you're doing. Okay, you're sick of everyone making fun of you. All right, let's go make uncut gems. Just make an unapologetically great movie. Where you are fantastic in it, right? You, he should have gotten an Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I know. And so, the that that's all very very annoying. 
But I want to share with you the real thing that, that really pisses me off about this movie. And that is the everything else about it. <laughs> so for anyone who um, has never been alive before, there was a show called I Love Lucy. And it was one of the most successful and watched sitcoms of all time that ran for like five or six years in the 1950s. And it's, it's, it's exactly what you're expecting out of a sitcom. It is uh, lighthearted and goofy and it's from the fifties. So every joke is very like PG and, you know, a, a, a show the whole family can laugh to all that shit. And the this way uh, accent. Thank you. Thank you. And the way they shot this felt like someone was solving a murder mystery. This film is, is shot with the same intensity as Silence of the Lambs. And I'm being completely serious, and that is not me trying to be hyperbolic about it. Like, when Lucy's, like, doing calculus in her head to make the elbow scene funnier, I'm like, you would think this decision is life or fucking death. And while it might be a case of you have to bring intensity to what you're doing, and Lucille Ball, the person, took her role incredibly seriously, that's all well and good. There's a way to do that where it's not serial killer intense. The way Aliyah Shakat plays her part of the only female writer is flawless. Absolutely flawless. Marry me. <laughs> because that's the thing. She's great. And you got the sense that here's someone who's taking her job very seriously, understands the weight of her position in the room, mm-hmm. and is also fucking funny and charismatic while she's doing it. And Nicole Kidman falls flat on her face in this. And Aaron Sorkin paints her as, one, an absolute bitch, and two, not even remotely engaging of a person. Like, it's so weird to watch. She felt more like Lucille Bluth than Lucille Ball. Even then, at least Lucille Bluth is funny. Like, at at least Lucille Bluth gets to be funny. Like, like, I think Lucy, I I'm not sure Lucille Ball Joe. had a real. <laughs> that was really good delivery. <laughs> like, like Lucille Ball has a couple lines here and there. And but they're usually even then treated as punctuation on a fuck you. Like she, when she's in some board meetings or, or in big Aaron Sorkin ask discussions, like they're not even really offhand quips the way that. I don't care for for Job is kind of just like a. I mean, really, it just lacks any context whatsoever. Um, and she doesn't have that. She doesn't get that. It's so strange. Mm-hmm. Like, what, 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 what did you it's, think about this tone? It was definitely intense, and giving the weight of the accusations during this time, I could understand the intensity. I just, I didn't hate this movie. I thought it was fine. I thought it was, it was acceptable in everything that it did. I don't think it, you know, to me, it didn't do anything that like upset me or pissed me off or anything like that. Other than just like the, you don't do anything to make me actually care about this. Like Lucille Ball is meant to be this, like, you know, I don't know much about Lucille Ball as a person or I've right, never same. really watched Luce, Like I love Lucy. I've never watched, you know, the Ricardos. Everyone in this movie 
just seems like an asshole. Everyone's a dick. Desi is like this great guy who ends up cheating on his wife, not ends up, who is revealed that he's been cheating on Lucille Ball and I almost said Bluth. And he's this piece of shit that's been lying to her and, and hiding all this the whole time. And it's like, all right, he sucks. Lucille Ball's like, oh, she is Lucille Ball. She's a star of the show. Like she's doing all of this for women everywhere. But she's kind of a dick to everyone and and whatever. And everyone in this movie kind of sucks. How about the fact I sorry, I just I just fucking remember how about the fact that uh-huh. J.K. Simmons goes up to 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 Nicole Kevin and was like, let me tell you about how life works and essentially tells her that maybe the reason Desi's cheating on her is because you're emasculating him in meetings and she takes the advice. It's fucking wild to watch. Also, we've never mentioned that Buster Bluth is in this movie, too. That's true. That, that is yeah. true. Uh, Todd, Tom Haley or some shit like that is in this um, movie. I'll look Todd Haley is a former offensive coordinator for the Steelers. Tony he Hale. Sucks. Tony Hale. There we go. Tony Hale is in this movie. And it's 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 he, I think, is probably my my favorite part of this. And that's really not saying much. I agree. Um, yeah. He at least got the chance to be a little bit funny amongst all the seriousness. Um, but it is by far the most serious I've ever seen him be on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess all right. I don't think I've ever he, seen him in a serious role. I, I think this is the most serious. And even then, this isn't supposed to be serious 100%. Um, but this is definitely, I think, the most serious I've, I've seen him. Uh, so let's talk about Javier Bardem, Desi Arnaz in this. Um, for one, wild casting choice. Wild casting choice. Uh, when this show came out, I love Lucy. I believe I'm going to double check, but I believe Desi Arnaz was like 30 something. Um, let's see. How, how, how old do you think uh, Javier Bardem is like today? 50. So let's see. Desi Arnaz uh, was born in 1917. Nice movie. Very cool. Um, and I love Lucy came out in 1951. So he was 34. Oh man. Oh, that's that does not bode well for Javier Bardem. <laughs> Javier Bardem today uh was born in 1969, which makes him 52. I'll tell you what though, Javier Bardem looks great. I he, know he doesn't, but eight I don't I think it's years. fine. No, I don't. Worse has been done. Thing, for one thing, he is 18 fucking years older than Desi Arnaz in this. Two, Desi Arn- part of the reason of Desi Arnaz being, and they make some mention of it in, in the movie, but part of what makes him Desi Arnaz is he is notably Cuban, and Javier Bardem is notably Spanish. And not Spanish in the way that people from the Northeast say it, which is everybody who speaks Spanish. He's literally from Spain Spanish. And three, Javier Bardem is one of the most intense-looking people on the planet, and Desi Arnaz looked like someone that everybody would like. He has like a, a goofy like little... I don't want to say like childlike, but very like warm look to him. He could never play the bad guy in No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I'll put it that way. D- uh, d- real life Desi Arnaz could never be fucking shit up in like South Texas. And that those three things make it kind of an odd choice off the jump. 
And then his character is a wildly portrayed character in that every scene they can get a guitar in his hands, he has one, which is an interesting choice because he's very much so then portrayed as like a, a consummate performer. Whereas Lucille Ball is Lucille. Yes, I, I, I thought I said Bluth. I didn't. I said Lucille Ball. Whereas Lucille Ball is played as like a corporate executive that also understands the ins and outs of funny. Wasn't Dizzy Arnaz a band leader? He was. And so they show a lot of him like on stage and singing and like doing what he does that makes him great. Lucille Ball doesn't really get a lot of that. She gets like two minutes of a radio show she hosted or something and not really much else. And they also portray Desi as kind of just there seemingly so that there can be the moment J.K. Simmons tells Lucy quit emasculating your husband and you can kind of buy it as a thing because when he's in the executive room he's like you don't get a lot of him being the cold-hearted guy that has to tell people to fuck off you get to see him being right and like clicking his heel or like doing a little like 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 jig on his way off of um, Tony Hale being wrong like he doesn't really get to like put his foot down in the same way no, that Lucy does. Because every time they have a meeting with like the the Philip Morris guys and the CBS guys, he's the one always leading the meeting. Like anytime they're in like his office and they're all gathered around when it was first discussing the pregnancy and then discussing the the you know news article, he's always the one that's kind of the voice of power in the room. No, I, you know, maybe this is an acting difference then, because I, 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 my read on it is that he gets to actually be friendly at certain points, whereas Lucy has this intensity throughout that doesn't really ever come away. Like when Lucy has, has a victory, she doesn't do a little like funny dance or like make a ha ha joke for the sake of it, the way that uh, Desi does when, you know, again, when he gets to be right about uh, don't fuck with the Cuban, I think was one of the things that one of the executive of Philip Morris wrote down. Um, and, you know, Desi's already dancing because he knows what it says. Whereas maybe maybe that's the difference then. Maybe it's an acting choice, rather. Like Javier Bardem gets to portray a character with two different sides where Lucille Ball just gets to be a bitch. Yeah, I mean, that's really it. And, um, and it's tough to tell. It is some combination for me of the way this is filmed where it everything is life or death. If we don't get the this the logistics right of why can't I hear my husband walk in in a very very small apartment um, then life as we know it will cease in the American way um, plus the fact that oh, Nicole Kidman is like oh my gosh she's a corpse in this yeah I, I do agree with that but I will say I like the idea that there are people paying attention to the craft and trying to perfect the craft and not just have jokes to have jokes like there's reason and thought and continuity behind it all. I appreciate that. And I appreciate that if that's what Lucille Ball was like, that she took it seriously and all that. Again, it's just the way she's portrayed as a whole is just right. That's my problem. My problem is not that they're going to have the argument about why can't I hear Desi walk into an apartment that is like no bigger than eight feet across. My problem is that they filmed it like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? 
I could, I could be able to hear. I should be able to hear him. Why can't I hear him? It's like, oh my God, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, like and it's not just Lucy. It's everybody in, in the scene. Like, like they, they film it. Like they, after this, they have to go throw some lotion in a basket. Like, like it's, it's wild. But, the lotion in the basket. Cause and, you know, let, let's get to the, to, to the end of this movie. Um, which felt like it, it, it ended for like 20 minutes. After they did the big everyone clap scene and that little like hall thing, um, I kept expecting the movie to end. And then it never really ended. And then eventually it it does end and it ends with text on the screen. And usually when a movie ends with text on a screen, it's to give you more information about the main driving point of the movie. And so it's like if you're learning about um, fucking the guy who invented Martin Guitars, uh, then and they they obviously aren't going to finish or like the Ray Charles movie like they they told a big old story about Ray Charles and then you can't just keep making a movie forever so they ended it at some point and then gave you text on the screen that was more about Ray Charles and the movie ends and the text on the screen is about how Lucy and Desi get divorced and man when that came up I I, I turned to my fiance and I said is the point of the movie their relationship. Because, man, they didn't spend a lot of time on that. They spend a lot of time on working on the craft of the jokes and worrying about which article got printed in the newspaper. And there was absolutely moments of their relationship and the marriage and, you know, making Lucy being unhappy and Desi being a cheater and all that type of stuff. But, wow, did it feel colossally secondary to what they spent the vast majority of their screen time trying to accomplish. And that, that, that's my question to you is what do you think they were trying to say with the movie? Foster, I need you to make my husband an executive producer and save my marriage. Um, Wild. Honestly, like I watched the whole thing. I think <laughs> if <laughs> I think if somebody came to me after I finished watching it was like, hey, what's that movie about? I would really just kind of sit back and say, oh, well, it's about I Love Lucy. I guess it's about I Love Lucy. I don't, like, There's really no driving, overarching narrative, singular event. It's like, okay, there was this event that happened. There was this thing that happened. Like, she had three or four different things that she struggled with, but at the end of the day, it's just like, it's about how I love Lucy was made and a story about how I love Lucy was made. But I, it's I, like, there's no point to be derived from it. There's no something you walk away from feeling, you know, like, Hey, I feel in, you know, I'm have a grand takeaway from this. It's just, Oh, Okay. They told a story. That's what happened. I, what I feel got. this way, the same way I felt about, we just talked about with Charlie Wilson's War, because eh, they're both Aaron Sorkin. Um, this is a surface level movie. And I will encapsulate it entirely 100%. with um, the Vivian Vance part. Uh, because there is an, a very unsubstantiated rumor that is supposedly widely considered to be false um, that gets brought up in this movie <laughs> where the contract that Vivian Vance had with the production of I Love Lucy required her to be a certain weight. And she felt like she didn't have body autonomy. 
and it, it, it's supposedly just hearsay and all that. Uh, this movie decides to give it life and show that as being a real thing. But the problem is they didn't actually go anywhere with that. It was played off really just, just as a power trip by Lucille Ball. Like uh, Vivian Vance is, you know, losing weight and she's happy about it. And Lucille Ball comes into her room just to tell her, fatten up, you disgusting fucking pig. It's in your fucking contract. and You can't break it, bitch. And then walks away. And that could be an interesting conversation about women's bodies and their autonomy over them in the 1950s, how women are portrayed on television, how women interacted with each other in the cutthroat film industry of the 50s. And instead, it's fully ignored the second after it's brought up and never comes up again. And it's really all of these threads, all of the things that get brought up in this movie, they don't get very deep into. Saying that Lucille Ball gets to find out that Desi Arnaz was cheating on her the whole time doesn't tell me anything about how that changes who Lucille Ball was going forward, how that affected the rest of the filming. This was season two of the show. They made four more seasons after that. How on earth, like the reveal that he was cheating is not the interesting part of that story. The fact that they were trying to work around dead Lucille being Lucy being pregnant is way more interesting than just talking about I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going to be pregnant on TV. Like, like get, get farther into it than that. That was the part that got the deepest on. And even then, it, like you don't actually see any of it, really. And it, like, like it, it brings up constant stream of ideas that it really doesn't do anything with because I don't I don't think Aaron Sorkin knows how. I don't think he knows how to go deep onto anything because I mean, look at all of the movies we've, that he's ever made. Have they ever gotten deep on really anything? Moneyball got, got kind of most of the way there for, for, for sports. It got part of the way there for sports stats. It didn't sports stats is tough because you don't need to go all the way deep into it to get it. Oh, what'd you say? I don't, I'm not hearing you. Like sports stats is like the shallow end of a pool. Like it's not, there's no serious depth to go. Like that's, yeah, sure, that's what I'm you can get really deep with stats, but that's not really, it's not going to help the narrative. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. add anything to anything. Yeah. I mean, the West wing was great and it touched a lot of topics, but it's not like they touched into the depth of any of that. Nah, 30 minutes. That's all you got. Or was it 60 minutes? Yeah. Show? Uh, it was a 60 minute show, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, 42 minutes of, right actual narrative um yeah i mean uh, the social network might be his deepest movie and that's just the depth of how much mark zuckerberg's an asshole i mean there's a lot of depth to be had there but it's also pretty easy material to kind of prove hey mark zuckerberg you're an asshole and everyone clapped (laughs) everyone clapped everyone always claps everyone shows up on set to an Aaron Sorkin movie with their hands ready. Uh, God, can you imagine if Aaron Sorkin made you do like 20 takes of his everybody clap scene and your arms just falling off at the end of it? And that's Sorkin- why you always leave a note. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, J. Walter Weatherman. Oh, what a Fuck. You, how do you keep writing everybody clap scenes and not feel like an absolute hack when all of your movies have it in them? I don't get it. 
it's just the Woody Harrelson beat of just like dabbing his tears with just wads of cash. Just like, <laughs> oh, I hate it. Anyway, um, we'll do, I guess, final ratings and reviews. I don't really have anything the fuck else for this. Um, yeah. Unless you do. No, it's a two and a half because it's a very shallow surface level, enjoyable movie that watch it. If you want, don't watch it. If you don't want, it really doesn't do much to, it won't change your life. You'll forget about it pretty quickly, but you'll enjoy it probably for the two hours you watch it. If you stay on that surface level, I um, I'm going to give us another one and a half uh, because I don't recommend anybody fucking watches this shit. This, this, it, it's, it's just not good. Um, it, it is, it is just not good. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Better movies, man. Well, I, all right. That shit. All right. I take no blame for this because the past two movies I've picked have been Golden Globe nominees, which we said we would watch. And so we're watching them. You can blame the Golden Globes for picking shit. Fuck. I can't believe Nicole Kidman and Aaron Sorkin are nominated for this. I could buy Javi Bardem a little bit because he does so much performing. Even then, I can't. I think he's listed as a lead, which is also wild. I, I, eh, he has a lot of screen time. Um, but yeah, I can't believe either of the two movies I've picked have been nominated for a series of awards. But whatever. Corwin Haller, what are you picking for next week? I told you this before. I don't remember what it was. Honey Boy. Honey Boy. I picked Honey Boy. Thank you. <laughs> I got you. All right. So Corwin's going Honey Boy, which means I'm going to continue to pick um, our, uh, from our Golden Globes sheet. I'm going to pick one that is currently streaming on Netflix, which is uh, Don't Look Up. So check out Don't Look Up and a movie from just pre-pandemic, I believe. I watched it in theaters. Honey Boy. Um, those are the two movies we're keeping very current for the next episode as we continue ringing in the new year and preparing for awards season. So check them out or don't. I do not care. Suck my balls. Um, Portal. My balls. Who was that fucking TJ something, right? From, uh, is this from Silicon Valley? Uh, Maybe? TJ Miller? TJ Miller. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Bomb scare guy. Uh, all right. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. With Paul Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. We do not post on Twitter very often. You can send us emails to the show at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And until whenever we next fucking record, uh, y'all have a good one. Uh-huh.